Hello and welcome to Will We Make It Out Alive? I'm Amy, the poop detective. And I'm Jen, the magical mapper. This is episode four of season two, Bartering with Slugs, Tales from a Garden Collective. Today, we're continuing our season about our food system, food security, and food justice or food sovereignty. After this, there will be one more episode in the season before we take a little break before the next season. If you missed any of the previous episodes in this season, you might want to go back and listen. In each of the episodes, we interviewed people about their organizations and are working to help ensure that communities, especially underserved communities, have access to fresh, healthy, local food. In episode one, we introduced our food system. In episode two, we learn more about the community benefits of having a farm as part of your emergency food network or food bank. Episode three was all about gleaning fruits and vegetables for the community that otherwise would have gone to waste. Amy, did you know that any salad can be a Caesar salad? Mm-mm. You just have to stab it enough times. Do you get it? Caesar? Yeah. Yeah. There's no laughter. It's, there's a reason. <laughs> Anywho, in this episode, we will learn more about community gardens with a twist. We will be speaking with Holly Prohaska from the Urban Farm Collective in Portland, Oregon, where you don't have to own land or even rent a community garden spot in order to participate in growing your own food, and where you may have been excited to see slugs in the past. We say, bring back the slugs. Meow. Oh my. <laughs> Meow. Here comes a cat back from <laughs> Jen's cat. Hey, Amy, did you know that Sphinx cats, which are the kind of kind of creepy looking hairless cats, have a body temperature that is still four degrees warmer than a typical feline? Isn't that interesting? Yeah, fascinating. But why, Jen? Why? It's because hairless cats eat between two and two and a half times more food daily than other cats do. And their unique metabolism processes the excess food and converts it into body heat to keep them warmer. And part of the reason for their higher body temperature could also be from their constant burrowing and seeking out heat sources. That doesn't really seem like it's about food systems. So let's not forget why we're actually here, which is community food system. Let's jump right into our interview. Today, we would like to welcome Holly Prohaska, director of the Urban Farm Collective based in Portland, Oregon. Holly is originally from Portland, Oregon. She grew up in the southeast of Portland, went to college, and worked for the Forest Service as a hotshot in eastern Oregon, and has lived in north and northeast Portland for the last 23 years, where she currently lives with her partner and two dogs. She is a physical education and health teacher by trade and has been teaching for 20 years. She loves being involved with her community and has done a ton of volunteering with different organizations over the years. She loves gardening, hiking, biking, cooking, live music, and drinking a good IPA. Don't we all? And according to Facebook, she or someone with her name that is familiar with Portland things also enjoys Pickathon, the Doug Fur Lounge, and X-Ray FM, which our friend Faulkner plays a curios and exhumations show every Sunday morning from 10 to 11. You should check that out shameless plug for our friend thank you so much for joining us today holly thank you 
today we're planning on discussing how the Urban Farm Collective is working to localize food production, share knowledge and skills, and help improve local food resiliency. Small urban farming programs like this are important aspects of food sovereignty, growing healthy local produce in the same neighborhoods that it is consumed. They turn vacant lots into community gardens and have a barter market with slugs, and we can't wait to hear more about that. So now, I wanted to tell you about a girl who only eats plants, but you've probably never heard of her. Oh, no, wait, you've probably heard of her, her before. <laughs> now who's messing up the jokes? <laughs> so, Holly, is there anything that you'd like to share about yourself that we missed in our highly curated, excellent introduction of you? The interwebs are one heck of a place. I think I'm actually learning things about myself here, so I don't know. <laughs> How did you become the director of the Urban Farm Collective? You know, I just was kind of assigned director. I joined the Urban Farm Collective, well, before it was actually even a nonprofit. I've been with, involved since the beginning of it, and I just joined as a volunteer working in the gardens. There was a very small number of us in the beginning, um, and we only had a couple of different gardens. So we kind of all worked in all of the gardens together and shared the food amongst ourselves in the community. And I was early on assigned the barter market manager, which has always been really fun. And I still hold that title as well. Our director at the time, whose brainchild the Urban Farm Collective was, her name's Jeanette Caden. She owns the Tin Shed restaurant here in town. She kind of came up with the whole idea of it initially to grow food locally in the community for the restaurant and not be having food shipped in from other places. And it was a really cool idea. Um, and eventually a few years down the road, the idea of it wasn't really working out how she wanted. So her and her wife actually ended up buying a farm out of town and we needed a new director. And I was the only one left that had still been a part of the collective since the beginning. So, you know, Default. fingers kind of got pointed at me and <laughs> like, okay, I'll do it. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's just been fun to kind of keep the organization afloat. Sounds fun. That's um, a lot of work though. Yes, I'm sure. <laughs> So can you kind of give us a brief overview of what the Urban Farm Collective is and what you do do? Yes. Sorry, I had to say that. It's question number two. <laughs> Being the poop detective. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Our mission is we take vacant lots in town and turn them into neighborhood food gardens. We really like to hold land that's here in perpetuity for agricultural purposes. Portland is just a city that's always been a really community-based city. And with the huge growth that's happened over the last decade, even really in the last five years, it's changed so much. And it's just like every little scrap of land that's anywhere basically just gets demolished and built on, which to me is very sad, especially being from Portland. So yeah. It's really become an important part of our mission for us to hold on to the pieces of land that we have for agricultural purposes and get people in the community involved in growing food and sharing food. And the way that we have it set up it doesn't cost anything to be part of the collective, which is really a unique piece of gardening, especially in Portland, is we have a lot of community gardens in Portland, but you have to pay for them. Right. right. And a lot of people can't afford it. And so with the Urban Farm Collective, it's free. You just have to have time to come and work in a garden. And any time you put in, you can come and trade for food cool. at our barter market. So that kind of leads into our next question. How does your program support food sovereignty and or food justice? So most of our gardens are in North and Northeast Portland, which were what used to be predominantly Black neighborhoods and pretty low income. Uh, so we really try to grow and donate a lot of food to people in the community 
We donate to different food banks. We've donated to a group that gets together and gives out free food at Dawson Park in North Portland. Uh, we're also currently donating food to the Crisis Kitchen every Wednesday. So we try to find a lot of different organizations around town that help out low-income, homeless folks, you know, anyone that's in need, and then really try to get people within the community and the neighborhoods that are around the gardens to get involved as well. Mm-hmm. And so a lot, a lot of those food. donated foods are, they're grown in the gardens, but not necessarily by those people, but then the excess is donated. Yes. And then also in just trying to encourage people within the community and our neighborhoods that are around the gardens to get involved, it's free food. Right. Are there specific socioeconomic or environmental impacts that you think that this program is addressing? I think not necessarily directly addressing, but in having large garden spaces in inner city areas, I think is really important just for people to have exposure to. And so I think that's just an important aspect of the collective being where we are and in the neighborhoods that we're in Mm -hmm. and just having these large garden plots. Are the gardens organic? They are sustainably grown. We're not certified organic. Sure. But yes, we don't use any sort of fertilizers or pesticides. We do a lot of our own composting. Yeah, we test all the soil before we even start a garden. So if someone wants to donate land to us, we do lead and heavy metal testing on the site before we even agree to grow food on it. Mm -hmm. And then just use organic compost and things like that. A lot of cover crop things to replenish the soil. Right. So the process that you guys are using is definitely probably much more environmentally friendly than large scale agriculture, for example. Right. Definitely. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, let's get right into the details of the program then. After, I guess, even moving into year two, we just decided that the original setup that we had of the collective and what our goal was was turning into something a little bit different. And so that's when we started developing the barter market, which we didn't have in the beginning. Um, In the beginning, the restaurant was buying produce and then we were selling it more in like a farmer's market setting to the Mm -hmm. community. So we decided that we really wanted it to be more of a, just a community-based effort and more for food security and food equity right. purposes. And so we developed the barter market at that time and just decided we would grow food collectively and develop this system where you earn a slug for every hour <laughs> that you work. And we just kind of use the slugs as barter bucks. So mm-hmm. if I worked two hours at a garden this week, I earned two slugs I can then come to the barter market and trade my two slugs in for two pounds of food. Whoa, two pounds of food, really? Yeah, and honestly, like most people that are regular volunteers don't even use up all their slugs. Right, yeah. But you can Mm -hmm. also gift your slugs to someone else. Nice. If your friends or family want to come, you can gift them to anyone you want. So it's it's a fun way to share food as well with people who aren't even working at the gardens. Maybe they don't have time. Mm Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's nice. That is very cool. We're certainly super interested in that aspect of this program. That's different than a lot of other community gardening uh, Mm -hmm. programs that we've been looking at so far. Did you come up with the slugs? No, I didn't. No. Whoever did that, that's brilliant. I love that. I don't even remember who did. We actually made wooden tokens Mm-hmm. with uh we we had a party in a backyard where we had someone made an iron yeah like, stamp, a, brand, like a branding, branding. Iron yeah, and yeah, we yeah. branded all of the wooden tokens with a slug oh wow and we had regular wooden ones and then we had ones that we dyed red for like change that we were using for oh, we don't use cool. it anymore but i still have one oh 
So is it just all electronic now? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sad. Yeah. <laughs> I know. That's. I love. I've got them from like farmers markets of different places. I've lived the like barter coins. I love them. I have to bring them back. <laughs> yeah. So how is the program funded? Do you have a lot of costs, or is it mostly volunteers and people donating things? Or yeah, we don't have a lot of costs at all. Actually, we. We get a lot of community donations. Uh, we also hold our own fundraisers. We were just recently a beneficiary for Buffalo Exchange for their Tokens for Bags program. Hmm. We were a beneficiary for a pub that was close to one of our gardens that we had for a number of years. That's a nonprofit, mm-hmm. and it's kind of a, you get to choose which nonprofit proceeds go to. And so we were a beneficiary for them for a whole year. Oh, cool. Yeah. And then we'll just hold different fundraisers or we have one garden that we have to pay a monthly, it's like rent kind of, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, cause we co-lease it from the owners Okay, and it's only 80 bucks a month for an entire plot of land, which is next to nothing. Right. But we've paid that pretty much solely in community donations, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that is cool. Very cool. How many gardens are currently in the program? We have seven. So there are six in North and Northeast and one in Southeast. How do you acquire the land for the farms? Most of it is donated. People just come to us and say, hey, I have this plot of land that I would love for you to farm. People that donate land get a land tax exemption. So Mm -hmm. it's a good trade-off for them. Two of the gardens are actually owned by the Oregon Sustainable Agricultural Land Trust. So that's really nice because it's then in perpetuity. perpetuity. We have lost a few gardens due to owners selling and developing. Do you guys own the land then? Or do people just let you use the land except for those two that are owned by the land trust? Correct. Yeah, we just have a land share agreement with the owners and they have to commit to at least a year at a time. So people can't, you know, back out and say they're selling it halfway through the right growing before season. you harvested all <laughs> right. your hard labor yeah. efforts. But we try to really work with people in only taking on land at this point that we know isn't going to be built on for a number right. of years, at least to make it worth the effort. And right. What's the smallest size of land that you guys work with? I think our smallest garden is about 25 by 100 square feet. They're pretty much all like full plots. Gotcha. I know we've seen in some other programs where they're using like the parking strip between the sidewalk and the road. Do you guys do anything like that? I think we require at least 200 square feet of space for us to take on as a farm. Mm -hmm. That's pretty small. Right. Yeah. Would somebody potentially donate or let, let you guys use part of their yard or something? Or is it always vacant lots? I don't think we have any that are just part of someone's yard, actually. They're yeah. all vacant lots. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Do you guys acquire the land and then get the neighborhood involved just based on kind of who's willing to donate the land? Or is the neighborhood kind of involved first? Like, how does that process work? We typically acquire the land first and then acquire volunteers yeah. <laughs> to come and work. Yeah. If you build it, they will come. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and two of our gardens are food forests, so... They're, you know, really big with in permaculture and very well designed. Sometimes there's draws, different draws. Could you tell us a little bit more about what a food forest is? A food forest? Oh, man. (laughs) You didn't didn't put this question down. (laughs) I know you were going to say those words together. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I've never heard of a food forest. From my understanding, a food forest is one that typically sustains itself pretty well, as with permaculture does. Usually involves a lot of like fruit trees, 
mm-hmm. perennials that come back every year, you know, maybe some annuals planted in mm-hmm. each year, maybe it may, may be just like flowers, but so and, just um, perennials. And then in a way it kind of sustains itself outside mm-hmm. of weeding and uh, harvesting, I guess. Correct. Yeah. Right. Very cool. Being, According that idea. <laughs> yeah, according to the internet, food forests are like the ultimate organic garden. Does a forest need tilling, weeding, fertilizer, or irrigation? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> That's from the modernfarmer.com. So more about the collective. Can anyone become a member of the collective? Is it a membership type thing or how does that work? Anyone can be involved in the collective. Do you have to live near one of the farms or you can just anywhere in Portland, you could volunteer to go to one? Yeah. You know, if you're willing to drive across town, Mm -hmm. anyone's welcome. Each garden has a designated garden manager that they choose when they want to host work parties, which is when they would have volunteers come and work at the garden and anyone is welcome to come. So if people want to join every single work party that happens every week, or some people have them twice a week, Mm -hmm. or you just want to stop by and check it out and volunteer for two hours, one time, anyone is welcome. That's actually super cool. We love things that allow people to just drop by for an hour or two and do something. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we love it when people want to have an ongoing commitment to volunteering too, but we know that that's not the reality for everybody. So that's really cool that you can just kind of plug in for a very short period of time, get your Mm -hmm. slug, and then (laughs) get your produce from the barter market. When is the barter market held? What day of the week? Tuesday evenings. And where is that located at? It's at one of our gardens called Bakari Garden, which is on Northeast 9th in Alberta. So if somebody comes and volunteers and gets some slugs, can they only get produce at the garden? Like what if they can't make it during that time? Um, get yeah. food directly from the garden or? No, because we actually weigh in all of the food gotcha. that comes in. And then we do keep track of mm-hmm. volunteers that we have and how many hours have been earned and then what's being traded at the market. And we kind of keep a spreadsheet of that. Mm -hmm. That's part of an annual report that we put out. I mean, you could also always have someone else pick up for you as well if you aren't able to make it. Right. Okay. There is that some flexibility with access, I guess, but yeah, it's just traded on Tuesday evenings. Okay. But we do do it from 6 to 7 PM. So hopefully people are off work. And do you allow people to buy things with cash or is it just barter only? Barter only. Yeah. We don't have any cash. Nice. Cool. We do sometimes if people want something and they don't have cash, we'll just give it away. Oh, nice. So yeah, we would rather just offer food for free than to Mm -hmm. sell it. Mm -hmm. Very cool. (laughs) It's just such an awesome idea. I love it. Yeah. Thank you. So if somebody wanted to get involved, what would they do? The gardens all have wooden signs that are at them that have the name of the garden and describe what the Urban Farm Collective is and has our website on it. So typically people contact us through email or on our website to get involved and we just try to connect them with a specific garden if they don't know which garden they want to participate in or some people will just say hey I want to work at this specific garden how do I get involved but all of the gardens also on our website list out the location of it and when work parties are happening and who the garden manager is they can contact directly if they want to so there are a couple of different ways through our website or just emailing directly 
Or sometimes awesome. people walk by and just end up talking to people who are there having a work party mm-hmm. and end up getting involved that way. This well. looks like fun. How do we get involved? Exactly. How do I get my hands dirty over there? Right. So speaking of the garden managers, what do they do? Do they plan the gardens? Uh, are they like assigned specific things to grow or they just kind of manage it how they want? How does that work? Yeah, we've kind of transformed it to letting managers manage the gardens however they want to. They get to mm-hmm. choose when they have work parties so they can work around their own schedules, what day of the week and time of the week works for them. If they want to do it multiple times, you know, they know the garden usually better than anyone Mm -hmm. and how the soil is and when it gets the most sun and all the different things like that around the garden and how things grow. So they usually get to choose what they plant and where things are grown. And a couple of our gardens have chickens. So, you know, that's up to them if people want to build a coop or obtain chickens and raise them on the property, Mm -hmm. which is always really fun. I love chickens. So. <laughs> yeah. so do they actually purchase seeds or starts then or is that provided through the collective we get seeds donated every year and then a couple of nurseries in town offer us discounts so if there are particular plants that they really want we will budget into each garden for them to purchase things from the nurseries that they mm-hmm. might want or mm-hmm. need but we get compost donated from the city, from Metro, and from Wood Waste Management mm-hmm. over in North Portland. They donate every year compost to us nice. and are very generous. Awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, we get a lot of resources donated throughout the community. We have people who donate water to some of the gardens that don't have water sources. Mm-hmm. So like a neighbor mm-hmm. might donate water. Wow. Yeah, that's this. cool. Yeah. Since that's kind of important and carrying water is not fun. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. A lot of community support and nice. a lot of donations. Yeah. Do you guys do like a seed exchange? So the garden manager kind of picks what they grow then. And then do they go to you guys and say, here's what we'd like to grow. And you guys see if you can get the seeds and the plants for them. Or how does how does that kind of detail work, I guess? The seeds that we get donated, we actually usually get like 200 packs of seeds mm-hmm. at least, which is a lot of seed. And yeah. some of the gardens um, save seed as well right. from the gardens each year. So that's just in addition to what the gardens might already have. Mm-hmm. So we get together actually at the beginning, before the season starts, end of winter usually, and separate all the seeds out and people just take what they want for their garden. To have get a planted. big seed party. Yes, and we set up. <laughs> One of the gardens has a free seed library. Cool. Oh. Up out front. Nice. So extra seed that they yeah. have, they just put out for the community. Uh-huh. Although that one, they had like a whole shoebox of seeds that they put out and someone came and took the whole box. Oh, no. Hopefully they grew them all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hopefully they'll share all the, the stuff they grew. Yeah. Right. I hope birds and squirrels disperse it around to the neighborhood. Right. Are there any processed products made, like jams from fruit from the gardens or anything like that? Yeah, we've had people make jam, compote. We've had someone, kombucha has been a big thing that's been made and created. One of the gardens had honey one year that they harvested. So yeah, there's definitely eggs come in Mm -hmm. from the gardens that have chickens. And then are those available in the barter market? Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, that is really cool. Yeah. So what is brown and runs around the garden? Poop? No, Amy, it's not poop. Not everything's poop related. (laughs) What is it? It's a fence. Ah! (laughs) I guess you probably don't want your poop to run. 
Yeah, no, not especially around a garden. Maybe if no, it's not. you know manure or something, but not human. There <laughs> is that. <laughs> so we see, in addition to the garden managers, there are also garden apprentice positions. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and what they do? Yeah. So all the positions are volunteer. And the apprentice program is set up really for people who want to learn more about gardening than just coming and volunteering for a work party here and there. So they commit for an entire season to working with the garden manager at the garden and commit to being at the work parties every week. Uh, So they really learn all the ins and outs of how you start the garden off from the very beginning of the season all the way through growing all of the food to putting the garden to bed before winter. And so it's it's a nice way for people to really just learn about an entire season and what it takes to. So basically the time commitment is that they volunteer for the season and then they basically learn really in-depth gardening skills from that experience. Correct. And then they can go on to later manage a garden themselves if they want to, which we've had a number of apprentices take on garden managing. Right. Or we've had people sign up for apprentice programs that are in college and need like an apprenticeship program and we can actually sign off on that if they are needing a certain number of apprenticeship hours Hmm. so are all of the farms spring summer fall or do any of them grow food year-round we don't do any winter gardening okay yeah it's just not been something we've done in the past not to Mm -hmm. say that we wouldn't in the future but we're really trying to build up the soil in all of the gardens this year mm-hmm. in hopes of maybe kind of turning some of the stewardship over in future years to BIPOC farmers mm-hmm. around the city that are looking for land because mm-hmm. land access is really difficult and it's really right. expensive. Yes. So in working with changing hands of stewardship at the gardens as well. So that's another another great experience for apprentices and volunteers to learn as well and just how to how to build soil and replenish land and then stepping away and letting different people steward the land that we're offered. Is your program modeled after another program? It's not. No, we just brainstormed and came up with it. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Cool. So if somebody wanted to start a similar program in another community, do you have any suggestions on how they could go about it? Like any lessons learned or... I think it's definitely a huge benefit for us to have our nonprofit status underneath the Oregon Sustainable Agricultural Land Trust. So if you can connect with like a land trust to gain nonprofit status in that way, it's a really great way to go, I think, just to have protection of the land and support. Mm-hmm. Um, and insurance. <laughs> right, right. One thing I have learned in roles I have played with volunteering is that so many people will donate if you ask. And I think a lot of people just don't ask. Right. So yeah, ask yeah. for donations. <laughs> we'll get so many free, amazing things. Right. And exactly, donations doesn't have to just mean money, right? Like it could be time or seeds or land. Land. Yeah, anything. Water. We've had tools donated. And Mm -hmm. I mean, we yeah, people who come around and weed whack areas for us because they have a weed whacker and Mm -hmm. have some extra time, you know? Yeah. We we used to have a farm truck, which we no longer have. It died eventually. But (laughs) we had a mechanic in town who donated his time and skills to work on our truck that we had and we would give him like a csa box whenever he awesome yeah right yeah yeah. i like i like that continued use of the bartering too kind of outside Mm -hmm. of just the barter market as well yeah it's great so besides being a farm manager apprentice 
or volunteering hours at one of the gardens. Are there other ways people can become involved? Are there other tasks that need to be done? Yeah, we have a few other volunteers that don't work in the gardens. Um, we have a treasurer who is just our treasurer at this point. He used to be involved, but isn't anymore. Mm-hmm. We have people who do computer-based work for us that manage our websites, because um, mm-hmm. I, I am not great with computers. So <laughs> they are lifesavers to me. Yeah, so doing even just like web development kind of stuff. We have someone who manages our Instagram Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. You know, yep. Things like yeah, that. We sure. need some volunteers for that kind of stuff too. We get that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a lot of work. Yes. Yeah, Huge help. So, um, yeah. anyways. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us today and sharing your wealth of knowledge about the Urban Farm Collective, a little bit about food sovereignty and the barter culture, which we hadn't touched on with any of our other interviews. Mm -hmm. We enjoyed our conversation and hope some of our listeners in Portland will get involved or look into similar programs in their area or potentially even starting their own. It's been really fun talking to you. Thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. So there you have it. The end of season two, episode four. We hope you had a chuckle while learning, didn't get too slammed by slugs, and that we have yet again inspired you to make it out alive while eating fresh local produce. In this episode, we chatted with Holly Prohaska from Urban Farm Collective in Portland, Oregon. Speaking of community gardening, I think someone has been adding soil to my garden. The plot thickens. And that, my friends, is why we need a sound for when my eyes are rolling so hard to hear them rolling. Whatever. The Urban Farm Collective is a fairly unique form of community gardening where people can volunteer at the farms and get barter bucks in return, which they can trade in for fresh produce or products made with items grown or raised in the urban farms, such as eggs, jams, or honey. This gives people who don't own land and either don't want to or can't rent a community garden space the opportunity to still play in the dirt and have a hand in growing their own food. Since land access can prevent many people from being able to garden or grow their own produce, this provides an alternative to other pay-to-play community garden models. Today we learned about how the Urban Farm Collective focuses on community building, education, and improving access to fresh and healthy food And their goal is to grow twice as much as they need, so 50% of their harvest can be donated to those organizations working to end hunger. The Urban Farm Collective provides land access. Currently, they operate seven farms, located on previously vacant lots in Portland, most in formerly redlined areas, and are open to anyone who wants to participate. They help protect those who farm and eat produce from the gardens by testing land for lead and other contaminants before anything is grown, and using organic and permaculture practices in the gardens. Garden managers share their knowledge with apprentices, who learn the ins and outs of garden planning, growing different produce, and sometimes raising chickens or bees, preparing and improving the soil, and many other aspects of growing food. Mm. Two of the farms have been donated to the Oregon Sustainable Agriculture Land Trust, or OSALT, And these lands are held in perpetuity for the purpose of education and research into sustainable agricultural practices. If by chance you have a currently unused lot in Portland, why not consider donating it to OSALT to be held in perpetuity for agricultural purposes? Or you can even just loan it for a few years or longer to the collective to be used as a community garden until you're ready to use it. We know that's a really big ask, so there are other ways you can help 
Oh, like, for example, you could get involved in one of the gardens if you live in Portland, or you can look for a similar program in your community, such as the Hilltop Urban Garden in Tacoma, Nurturing Roots in Seattle, or Grub in Olympia. If one doesn't exist in your community, consider starting one. That's a tiny ask. Tiny. Tiny. Please join us for our next episode, which will be the fifth and final episode of this season where we interview GIS superstar Tanya Cowie about some pretty cool volunteer GIS work she did with Hilltop Urban Gardens in Tacoma, focusing on gardening more efficiently. A whole episode dedicated to one of the many awesome uses of GIS technology. Count me in! Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please let us know what you think at outalivepodcast.com or facebook.com forward slash will we make it out alive. Also, if you have story ideas, please feel free to share them on our Facebook or website. And if you hear anything in this episode that doesn't sound right, doesn't sound actually scientific or factual, please let us know and we'll make a correction in a future episode. Until next time. Will we make make it it out out alive? This is Amy the Poop Detective, sliming away slug style. And goodbye from Jen the Magical Mapper.